Is that what you desire this morning, that little chorus, Word of God speak? Is, is that your prayers? We come into such a time as this to Lord, Lord, just, just wash over me, washing my eyes to see the majesty of you and your truth. And to Lord, give me ears that I may hear. I, I pray that that's our heart's desire this morning is to hear from the Lord. And, and when we are reading from the Word, that's why I love to read so much, so much Scripture. Because this is, this is truth. And you cannot go wrong when you're reading from this. You cannot. You cannot. So today, let, let's go into Romans 3 once again. Romans 3. I want us to go ahead and read once again the first eight verses that, that we've already looked at. And, and then I want us to continue from verse 9. And we're going to read far more than we're going to get covered today. We're going to read down through verse 20. So Romans 3, 1 through 20. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Now I'm going to pause there for a little bit, because this is what we went over last week. And what are they saying? If God is merciful, and He forgives sin, then then when I sin then actually what I'm doing is I am displaying and letting God display His mercy. And so He's going to judge me for that? Do you see the, the logic that is coming from the side of the unbeliever? I will be ju- I'm just making God more glorious as He, as he shows mercy to me. And, in, and how does Paul respond to that? And then it, it says, though Paul says, well, here's what you should have said, and, and why not say, let us do evil that good may come. Remember what we talked about? And let us sin so that grace may abound. See, that's the logic. No, no. And then Paul says, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, you know, what is Paul saying? He's saying, this is what some people are saying. This is what some people are saying that I'm saying, and it's not what I'm saying. And the people that believe this, People believe, well, let's just sin so that grace may abound. What, what does Paul say about them? Their condemnation is just. Now, let's continue now, verse 9 now through 20. What then? Are we better than they? 
Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all without sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no Flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, just as, as we come to your word, as we've already said, word of God speak. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. Those things that we do not know, teach us. Father, the, who we are not, make us. Our Father, we need you. Help us, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now, as we come to this next section, and that's what we're coming into with verse 9, and the next section in Romans chapter 3, let let us remember that, that the Apostle Paul has been laying the foundation to present the truth that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, both Jew and and Gentile, Greek, and that apart from receiving by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile are sinful and are under the wrath and condemnation of God. There is no partiality with God. And then the Apostle Paul began answering the objections that would come to this proclamation. And we've talked about it. Paul had been out preaching and teaching in the synagogues and before people, and he had been hearing all the objections. But Paul, but Paul, uh, the Jews they would argue their race. But but Paul, we are descendants of Abraham. We bear the mark of the covenant in our bodies by circumcision, and and, and we and we alone, Paul, were given the law of Moses written by the very finger of God. Paul, how can you say that we are as sinful as the Gentile? But then Paul pointed out that although they had been given the law, they did not keep the law, but indeed were in fact lawbreakers. And then he pointed out that the name of God had been blasphemed among the Gentiles because of their sinfulness and disobedience to God. And then it's as though Paul is crushing, continuing to crush any any crutch that they may be trying to hang on to, any remaining security, when he said in Romans 2, verse 28 and 29, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. Let me pause. What's, what's Paul doing? He's knocking that crutch out from underneath them. See, they they were standing upon their heritage. They were standing upon this work of the flesh, this circumcision. 
But Paul, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, a true Jew, who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, yes, they were descendants of Abraham. Yes, they had been given the law of Moses. Yes, they bore the mark or sign of the covenant by physical circumcision. But, and I'll ask this question again. I think I've asked it the last three sermons on Romans. But what was missing? The spirit. The spirit. The spirit. The circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. What was missing? The spirit. All they had were physical things, but they did not have the spiritual mark of a true child of the covenant. The circumcision of the heart wrought by a work of the Holy Spirit. That is what they did not have. Then in chapter 3, as we got into chapter 3, Paul takes the next objection. And then what was the objection? So Paul, well, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Why did God... Have us do all these things in the Old Testament. Uh, what was the purpose of it? No advantage at all? To which Paul responds at verse 2 in chapter 3, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And, and we read, uh, I believe, from the book of Acts, and we're not going to go there today, but where Paul talked of all the other advantages that the Jews had. Uh, yes, they were much in every way that uh, was it in Romans 9 we're not going to go there but he pointed out this he said that they were adopted as God's children they had witnessed the glory of God from Mount Sinai the glory of God had led them by day and by night and was in the midst of their holy places they had received the covenants the law and the promises they had been called to service of God through the priests and prophets Theirs were the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and most of all, it seems, and theirs was the physical lineage from which Jesus Christ himself came, who is overall an eternally blessed God. Amen. This is the, this is the advantage of the Jews. But Paul said in that verse 2, but chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. You see, they had the very law written by the finger of God that should have convicted them as lawbreakers and led them to repentance. But they refused. They refused. And so today, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off now in verse 9. I know I, perhaps I was talking pretty fast trying to get through that part to get where we're at today but because there's there's a lot here. There's a lot here. So let's look at Romans 3, verse 9. What then? So here, here's, here's that continued. Paul, you know, he, he, it's as, as though in writing this letter, he knows the objections. Like I said, he's been out there. He's been preaching. He's been having all these questions fired at him. And so he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And this is what's next. Here's the question. Well, Paul, what then? Are we, the Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? Not at all. For we have previously charged, Paul is saying, I've already talked about this. I've already talked about this in the first part of this letter. We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks 
that they are all under sin. See, Paul continues to answer these questions that he has been hearing and that, that he knew the objecting Jews would have. And, and in one, it seems as if in one last effort, they ask Paul, but Paul, aren't we better than them? Come on, Paul. Aren't we better than them? I, Paul, I believe, I believe we are. Ever talk to anybody? Well, I'm better than them church folk. Aren't I better? Aren't, aren't I better than that guy over there? And what? how does Paul answer? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sins. You see, Paul is continuing this constant indictment of sin that he began back in Romans 1. Let's look at verse 18 in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And since that verse, Paul has been pointing out that all, both Jew and Greek, are sinners. Put that verse 9 up again one more time. Chapter 3. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. All under sin. And now I've said often through different sermons that, that they're on the face of this planet that everybody in it is in one of two categories, either saved or unsaved, lost or found, believer, unbeliever. And now I'm going to add another category. They are either under sin or under grace. You are one of the other. Under sin or under grace. Either yet under sin, yet dead in your trespasses and sins, or under grace, having by grace being saved by faith, raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks that they are all under sin. Perhaps one of the weightiest truths found in Scripture that must be upheld. It must this is foundational truth that all of mankind, all have been corrupted by the power of sin. That we are not good by nature. We are not born good and then become bad. No, quite to the contrary. Paul in Ephesians 2, first three verses. And you, he, the Lord made alive. See, now there's the good part. That, that we're not quite to yet in Romans 3. That's the good part. And this is where all are either, or once were, either alive or dead, spiritually speaking. You He made alive. So everyone, even right now, I can put that category in there. You're either uh, alive or you're dead, spiritually speaking. And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Who's the prince of the power of the air? That's Satan. It's the devil. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, all, once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. All under sin. 
all born children of wrath. Colossians 3, verses 6 and 7. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. All under sin. All once sons and daughters of disobedience. All once children of wrath. And there was only one exception. And that was Jesus Christ Himself. So why is Paul spending so much time bringing all this out? And some of you... Uh, through the weeks, maybe sitting there going, and preacher, why are you seemingly going so slow going through this, pointing out all these things? We get it, preacher. We get it. Well, let me ask you this. How will anyone know that they need the cure if they don't know they're sick? Piper used an illustration. What kind of doctor, knowing that a patient has a progressing cancer, would fail to tell them about it? What if the doctor would just say, well, if I tell them, they're just going to get upset. If I tell them, they're just going to worry. If, if I tell them, you know, they won't want to come talk to me anymore. And besides that, I may not have a cure for this cancer. So why would I tell them? Many people's evangelistic method is not to expose and convict people of their sin. Well, it, 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 they'll just get upset. If I tell them about sin, they won't want to talk to me. But we must tell them. We must tell them they have a cancer, they have a disease, and it is sin. But we can say with all confidence, there's a cure. There is a cure, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. But they first must know that they need the cure. Listen to Lloyd-Jones. Quote, Paul's way is the way to evangelize. Because evangelism means that we do not simply make a positive statement as to what the gospel does. We show people their need of it. In other words, there must be a conviction of sin as well as a display of salvation. And there are not many passages in Scripture in which the terrible nature and character of sin are brought out more strongly than they are in the first three chapters of Romans. Paul points out the wrath of God that is coming and even now resides upon sin. So when Paul evangelizes, he does not come to people and say, how would you like to be a bit happier? Or, or would you like to have a true friend? Let me pause there in this quote. Have you heard people, that's their evangelistic method. Would you like to have your best life now? That, uh, I guess I just made a slam, didn't I? Would you like to be happy? That's not Paul's evangelistic method. Let me quit, continue with the quote. He does not say something like that. He does not start with that. He cannot possibly start like that. What is the use of asking questions like that if a man is in the wrong realm? If a man is under sin? See, what's the use in asking a question, don't you want to be happy when they're dead in their trespasses and sins? 
The primary thing is not whether I'm happy or miserable or anything else. The question is, what is my relationship to God in the judgment? What is my realm? Let, let me pause there for a minute. When he keeps saying, what is my realm? I believe he's, he's making that remark about where is my citizenship? Am I just a citizen of this world or is my citizenship in heaven? Where is my realm? Am I of God or only of the world? So where is my realm? If I am under sin, the first thing I want to know is how can I get out of that and be under grace? The business of preaching is to show men, all men, that they are under sin and then to show them the only way of getting out of it. End quote. Is that the right evangelistic method? To have the method of the Apostle Paul? That's what he has been doing for two and a half chapters. Telling them that they are under sin. They thought they were okay. There must be a recognition of sin before anyone can be saved. Can I get an amen to that? There must, there must be a recognition of sin. A person has to come to that realization that they are a sinner before a most holy God. There are many people today who think that just because they live moral lives, that they give to charities and do benevolent things, that they are Christian. Well, well God is love. He, he wouldn't send me to hell. Look at all the good things that, I, that I've done. But besides, I'm as good as everybody else. How would you respond to a person who would say something like that to you? Or how have you responded? Or in the future, how will you respond to someone that would say something like that to you? But, but I'm, I'm a good person. I do good things. Well, you respond with Scripture. You respond with Scripture. Don't just go, well, I, I don't know. I, if you're born again, you do know. You do know. Be equipped with Scripture. Read, read Romans 3, verses 9 and 10. Let's, let's put that up. What then? Are we better than they? Well, I'm a good person. I'm as good as they are. I'm, I'm, I'm as good as, as them. I'm a good person. No, not at all. Not at all. You are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And then you can say, that's not me. That's this. It's the Word of God. And if you have a problem with that, you're lost and you cannot see it because you do not believe the Word of God. All understand there is none righteous, no, not one. You see, first the bad news, indictment of sin, conviction before a holy God. So become very familiar with the book of Romans. Read it and read it over and over again. Read the book of John over and over again. Read the book of Ephesians over and over again. Become familiar with the passages of Scripture so that you'll be able to talk to someone when they come with these questions and, and, and objections 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul was facing. Become familiar with Scripture. Use Paul's evangelistic method. Use Scripture. And this is what Paul is doing with the unbelieving Jew. Beginning in Romans 3 verse 10, Paul is quoting Old Testament Scriptures. From here down through, I believe it's verse 18, because the Jews believed in their Old Testament, didn't they? Well, they may not have followed it. They may have been lawbreakers. But these were the oracles of God that had been given to them, and they were very proud of that fact. And it's as though Paul is saying, okay, you, you have your objections to my message, but here is what your own Scriptures say. You see what he's doing? So maybe we'd be very familiar with the Word of God. How important is it that we read and study? So that when people come with objections to our message, we can say, but, but, but here, here, let's, let's turn over here. Here, read, th- read this. This is, what, this is what the Bible says. That's what Paul is doing. As it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. Six times, six times in these verses, Paul uses the phrase, there is none, or the phrase, no, not one. Six times. And Paul keeps hammering home this truth to the unbelieving Jew by using the very Scriptures that they hold dear. And so here beginning now in Romans 3, 10, that, that we have, Paul gives a list I believe it's it's 13 charges or indictments against the unbeliever. And we'll not get through this all today. But again, Paul is using the very Scriptures that the Jews hold dear. As it is written. As it is written. Do you understand that, right? As it is written in your prophecies, in your Scripture, in the Old Testament. As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. Psalms 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. In Romans 3, Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one, meaning that there is none of them who have a right standing before God. Of ourselves, all are unrighteous. All our, I stated earlier, all of our righteousness is as what? That's in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. None righteous. And just in case someone might be thinking that there is an exception, he says, no, not one. Is Paul hammering at home? Yes, he is. He is. But, 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 but Paul, I, 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 I'm a little bit righteous, aren't I? No, not one. You see, Everybody keep listening. There are no levels of righteousness as far as salvation is concerned. 
Hope you understand that. There are no levels of righteousness as far as salvation is concerned. There is either a perfect righteousness that is imputed, that is given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, or there is sinfulness, uncleanness, and filthy rags apart from God. There's no levels of righteousness. You are either righteous or you're unrighteous. There's another category that you could put everybody in. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now let's go on to verse 11. Romans 3, verse 11. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. In Psalms 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And what does He find? They have all turned aside. All. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. Oh, look what it says. No not one. That this is from their own scripture that, that, that Paul is going to to show them. There is none who understands. There is none who is wise. And Paul would say this in the New Testament in Ephesians 4 if you go to verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. See, this was their condition. Ignorance. An absence of true wisdom. They were ignorant of God and His Word and who He truly is. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's where wisdom begins. A fear of God. In Psalms 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. And if we go back to Romans 3 verse 11. There is none who understands. And then next, and we know that they don't understand because they are their, their mind, their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from God. And they are ignorant before God. They don't understand. And then what's it say? There is none who seeks after God. Now I think we've we got to talk about this one a bit. What does Paul mean when he refers to seek after God? Now here's what I believe. I believe he is talking of a true desire for the one true God. A genuine desire to know Him, to worship Him, and to seek Him in prayer. And we sang it this morning. We read the Scripture before we sang the song, As the Deer. There's some Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Who sh when shall I come and appear? before God. That's the attitude of someone who is truly seeking God. My soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for You, the living God, the one true God. I believe that's what 
the Apostle Paul is, is referring to there when no one seeks after God. In Psalms 16, verses 7 through 9, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. See, that's a picture of someone who is seeking after God. Blessing the Lord. Setting the Lord always before them knowing that He is at their right hand and that it shall not be moved. And knowing this, they will rest in hope. That's the one who is seeking after God. And I, I believe this is that one. Because the, the unbeliever, the natural man, cannot do this of himself. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Now stay with me as we go through this. Can the natural man seek God? No. Can't. And I believe we need to get an understanding of this. They cannot. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. What, what did we just read about the ignorance that is in them? It is foolishness to them. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We're talking about spiritual things. The natural man does not have the Spirit, and they cannot discern these things. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. Or to be carnally minded is death. That's talking of the natural man. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the natural man, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They do not seek after God. Now, I want to read Lloyd-Jones again. I believe he, he, he talks of this very well. So, so listen, please. Lloyd-Jones, quote, Someone may say, surely the apostle has gone too far. Surely he has no right to say that every person who has been born since the fall of Adam has been guilty of not seeking after God. This person says, I know many people in this world today who are not Christians at all and who never go to church or a place of worship, but I know that they say their prayers. I know that when they are in trouble, they offer up a prayer to God. Let me pause there for a minute. Sound familiar? Tried to witness to someone. Oh, I say my prayers. I say my prayers. Well, yeah. What, to who? To what? Why? I know many people in this world today who are not Christians at all and who never go to church or a place of worship but I know that they say their prayers. I know that when they are in trouble, they offer up a prayer to God. Is that not seeking after God? They are good people. See, and, and we may ask that same question. You may, when I made the comment I made a while ago, you might have said, but, 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 didn't, but these people, I think they're trying. Isn't that seeking after God? 
The answer of the Apostle Paul to this is no. Are they seeking after God? No. Now listen, stay with me. Mechanical prayers do not mean that they are seeking God. Seeking God means that you are trying to find God and to get into His presence and to realize His presence. That is seeking To seek God means to desire God above everything and everybody. To seek His glory, to promote His glory. And what the Apostle says is that no man by nature and left to himself has ever sought God. It is important, therefore, for us to realize something of the implication of this statement, this doctrine. For it means, can I listen? Listen, for it means that if you and I claim as Christian people that we are seeking God, there is only one explanation for it, and that is that God first loved us. That's good right there. The implication of this statement, this doctrine, for it means that if you and I claim as Christian people that we are seeking God, there is only one explanation for it, and that is that God has first sought us. Man, in sin, under sin, does not seek God. There is none who seek after God. That's what Scripture said. Man, by nature, is a God-hater. He is at enmity with God. He is dead in trespasses and sins, showing me a man who can honestly say that he is seeking after God, and I will show you a man who has been quickened by God's Spirit, a man whom God has sought. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Left to ourselves, we would never seek him. We would remain permanently at enmity with him. End quote. But but aren't I think they're seeking God? See, the seeking comes after. That may be a little hard to get a grip on. He opens our eyes. He opens our ears. And though we may not understand it, we may not have a clue of what has happened, and 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 perhaps it will take someone to take the scripture and 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 someone that is there that the Lord is speaking to them. And if the Lord is speaking to them and drawing them, they're His. They may not even know it yet until they can come to an understanding of the Word of God. To share Scriptures that that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I, I know that. I know. I know. I don't know how I know, but I know. Well, here, let me tell you how how you know because the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Because the Spirit of God is drawing you to Himself. And here, let let, let me show you. Oh, you, you know right now you're a sinner, don't you? Yes, I know. Well, let me show you what God has done because He loves you. You share the Gospel. Back to Romans 3. Verse 12. But just to say this, just to have a heart of compassion, because we were all once there. On the outside, looking in. And perhaps thought we were just fine, just like the unbelieving Jews. So I, we're good because we're better than them. 
No, you're not. All, all, all have sinned. So, uh, verse 12. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. Well, wait a minute, Paul. I, 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 I do good. No. No, not one. See, that, that's almost what Paul's doing there when he does that. Isn't that a method that some of you parents use? But, 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 no. No. You don't have a lick of truth to stand on here. Stop talking. No. Now let me tell you the truth. But, but, I... I think that's what Paul was doing here. But, 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 Paul, we're good. I, I do all these... No, not one. They have all turned aside. So if, if, if you've got a King James Version, I don't know how many of you that's what you have, but in the King James Version, what did it say? They are all gone out of the way. The way. See, and that word the way was used very often in talking about, well, just let me ask you, what way are they talking about? Well, they're the way of God. The way of God. They, they've all gone out of the way. The, the true path, the straight and narrow path. They have all turned aside. They have all turned their backs and have gone in the opposite direction. Out of the way. They have all turned aside. At Psalms 14 verse 3 again. They have all turned aside. See what Paul's doing? He's using Scripture so that the Spirit of God may convict them of their sin. But, but Paul, we're good. No, no. No, not one. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. In Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The same point. We have turned aside. We have gone in the opposite direction. We have turned our back on God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, though we have turned from him. God the Father in mercy and love placed the penalty for sin upon his only begotten Son so that all who believe might be set free. And Paul, in talking to the false teachers who had infiltrated the church, said this in 2 Peter 2 verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Same, same thought. They have turned aside. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. 
See, they have turned from the true and living way of Jesus Christ and of righteousness and have turned because they loved the wages of unrighteousness. That's the world, isn't it? That's the world. Romans 3.12, once again. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. They have together become unprofitable. Unprofitable. Worthless. Useless. Like salt that has lost its savor. Who said that? That was Christ. They have become unprofitable. One more quote from Lloyd-Jones. Quote, Unprofitable? Ah, says someone, surely this is once more too sweeping a statement. I know of many people who are not Christian, but who are doing a great deal of good. They are very good citizens, and they give large sums of money to good causes and things like that. Surely you cannot say that they are unprofitable. But the Bible says that they are unprofitable. In what way? They are unprofitable from the standpoint of God. Not from the standpoint of secular morality. Now listen, now listen. Uh, Lloyd-Jones says this, It is important that we should keep these distinctions clear. The Bible does not say that a man is as bad or as rotten as a man can ever be or ever become, but from the standpoint of salvation, it does say that every single one of us, apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus, is entirely without goodness and completely unprofitable. End quote. There are a multitude of good, can I say good, of moral people in this world who, when you go to the list of all those sins in Romans chapter 1, they could say, no, that's not me. I don't do any of those things. No, I I give to the poor. I, I, I go, I, I, I do... Charitable causes. I, I, do, I do all these things. But apart from a knowledge of God in regard to salvation, they are useless and worthless and unprofitable. In the eyes of the world, man, they're the ones that get lifted up. They're, they're the ones that may be on the front page of the New York Times. They may get an award, uh, uh, that person of the year, on Time Magazine or something like that. But in the sight of God, if they are apart from Jesus Christ, they are worthless, useless. Nothing but, but salt that has lost its savor and thrown on the pathway to be trod underfoot. You see the distinction. Because we are not saved by our good works. No amount of good works will save anyone. No amount of good works will get anyone to heaven. In, in Titus 3, verses 4-7, through 7, But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, we are either under sin or we're under grace. One or the other. Because what did Paul say of all those things of his past before the Damascus Road experience? You know, that, that song we sang this morning, Knowing You, that, that could have been the Apostle Paul that wrote that. All I once held dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wants to own. All I once thought gain, now I count as loss. That's, that's the picture of the Apostle Paul. A Pharisee of Pharisees. That, that had been going and, and convicting Christians of crimes that they had not done. Putting them to death even. That was the Apostle Paul before the Damascus Road. But then, but then, but then the Lord came. But then the Lord came. Shone brightly upon him in Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9. Oh, this was the Apostle Paul after that. Yet I, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Again, what's the King James say? Count it as dung. Worthless. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. that, That lyric said, to possess by faith what I could not earn, all surpassing gift of righteousness. That's what the Apostle Paul received. All that he thought was gain. All of the power and the prestige and all those things that probably many people say, boy, that, that Paul, he's an up-and-comer. Oh, look look out for Paul. Man, he's he's probably going to be the head of something here. I, I, know, I, I know the emperor is probably going to move him right up. But in the eyes of God, all of those things, but rubbish, worthless, unprofitable. Romans 3 verse 12, once again. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. And this is an exact quote from that Psalms 14.3. Go ahead and put it up there once again. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none good, no, not one. Exact wording. And again, someone might say, but I do good stuff. I, I know other people who does good stuff. Surely that, surely... That that means something to God. There is none who does good, 
No, not one. So I, I believe this doing good means to do good things for the glory of God. And can the natural man do that? No, they can't. They can't. The unbelieving man cannot do this. He does things for his own glory and satisfaction. And that is why these things are useless and unprofitable and they cannot do good in the sight of God. Where do I get that? Well, Jesus said it to the Pharisees in Luke 16, verse 15. And He, and Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Again, that man or woman that's on the cover of, of Time Magazine, Person of the Year, apart from Christ, they are an abomination to God. But, but they, they've done all these... No. There is none who does good. No, not one. Apart from God. Apart from Him. Apart from Him loving us and drawing us to Himself. All this natural goodness that people talk about that makes the news and that people praise one another for in the sight of God is an abomination. God hates it. Apart from Christ, there is none who does good. No, not one. We're going to stop there. And I would ask just if someone perhaps even here today, or perhaps would come across this sermon in the future, I would ask this question, are you relying on your own goodness to get you to heaven? It won't work. It has never worked, and it never will work. It won't work. Apart from Christ, there is none who does good, no, not one. And I would ask this question, do you truly know the love of God? Do you know the goodness of God? Do you know the grace of God? Has the Spirit of God made His Word alive in you? Has it become truth in the inward man, in the heart? Do you believe the Gospel unto salvation of your soul? Because Paul is going to keep talking about this. He's going to keep talking about this and he's going to keep revealing the cure as we go along. And that cure, I keep talking about this. I read this perhaps almost every Sunday. And when we get to Romans 10, verses 9-13, through 13, Oh, here, here's here's cure. Romans 10, verse 9 through 13, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. See, what was missing for the unbelieving Jew? The Spirit. The circumcision of the heart. See, so Paul continues that, continues that on. If you believe in your heart, if you have that circumcision of the heart, you say that's what he's talking about. That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me pause there for a minute. That's what Lloyd Jones said earlier. There must 
be a confession, a conviction of sin, and then there must be action that follows. Believing, confession, turning from your sin and going the right way. See, it's all together. It's all together. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe? John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Wrath for the unbeliever, but blood-bought mercy for the believer. Let's read another portion from Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified, justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You see, the first portions of Romans, the first three chapters, down into the latter part of chapter 3, Paul continues to hammer home the biblical truth that apart from Christ there is none righteous. No, not one. None at all. All are under sin, but there's good news. There's good news. And Paul is getting to it. He's getting to it. And here's how I want to close. I want to read the, I want to read the good news. We read down through verse 20 in Romans 3. Let, let us close this out by reading the remainder of chapter 3 in Romans. So Romans 3, 21 through 26. Here's what's coming. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, the good news, the good news. All who by faith truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will be saved from wrath. Do you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just give you thanks. Thanks for your word of truth. And Father, I, I just want to give thanks that though I was undeserving, though I was lost, I was under sin, that Christ died upon a cross as payment for my sin. And that one day in your timing and in your way, you revealed that to me. You opened my eyes to 
to you and your holiness. You opened my eyes to my sin. And as I trembled before you, you showed me the cure, the rescue, that the price had been paid for my salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Father, I am so thankful that you first loved me so that I might seek after you and love you. So Father, help us to, to have an understanding of your word. Help us, Father, to stand firm upon truths that are found in your word. I'll speak the truth in love, but yet stand firm. And Father, help us all to be equipped with your word. Whether it's just by memory, or whether we have a Bible on our phone, or have a, a little New Testament or something in our back pocket or in our purse. Father, help us to be equipped. Help us, help us to have those portions of Scripture marked or highlighted. That when the objections come, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the objections come to someone, when they're being shown by Scripture that they are a sinner, that, Father, we can continue in Your Word to show them truth. And again, Father, we know, we know that it's not by our persuasive words that anyone will come to know Christ, but it's only by Your Spirit and the truth of Your Word. But, Father, I do know this. And in your timing and in your way, you place people in the right time, the right place to show someone that you are drawing to yourself Scripture so that they might know the truth. So Father, help us to share truth and to do it in love. And Lord, should there be someone who is listening who is yet under sin, Father, I just pray that by the power of Your Spirit and the truth of Your Word, that You would shine light into a dark place, open their eyes to see truth, open their ears that they may hear for the first time the true Gospel, and they would take it to heart. And Father, upon that, oh, then they will seek You. Only then can they seek You. So Father, help them to know that Christ died for them. Help them to know that the price has been paid. That they would turn from their wicked way. Turn to you. Turn to Christ. Believing, receiving Christ, repenting of sin, and following you. And continuing the rest of their days on this planet to seek you. So Father, help us, I pray. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.